For three weekends during the stewardship program, I've been talking about the management of our Christian resources. We started off first on the subject that God gives. God so loved the world that he gave. Our God is a giving God. Next, we noted that God gives through people. God's avenue for giving is us. In fact, we become partners with God. Last week, we noted that God gives through people whose motive is pure. See, God is concerned with why we give what we give. So today, in part four, on our subject of what you're going to do with what you got, we look at the subject God gives through people whose motive is pure, who have relinquished their rights. Now, all week long, I've been thinking about French fries. All week. About French fries. I've been thinking about McDonald's French fries, a big order. Some of you are concerned about the theological depth of your pastor's thinking, aren't you? You probably thought of meditating on some deep areas of life all week long. But I was thinking about people. If you remember from last week's sermon, if you were here or not at this service, who don't understand where French fries come from, and who controls the taking and the giving of those French fries. I shared the time about taking one of my kids years ago to McDonald's. If you weren't here, I told about the account of how my son and I were at McDonald's. And my son had some fries. I did what every parent has done at least a hundred times. I took just one of his french fries. And I found out that he didn't want me to have even one of his fries. And reflecting on that incident, I thought to myself, my son doesn't really realize where those french fries come from. He doesn't understand the source. I'm the person who bought them. I'm the source of his fries. Secondly, he doesn't understand that I have the power to take those fries away, at least at that time. I also have the power to go over to the counter, buy enough french fries to bury him in fries. Here he's holding on to his french fry. That story illustrates how you and I also hold on to our fries. We hold on to the things that God gives to us. We fail to understand God is the source. God is the source of all the things that we have. And God can take them away, and God can give us more. We do not understand that biblical truth. We are as immature as the boy sitting in McDonald's holding on to his french fry for himself. Today we want to talk about our rights. What are my rights? What is mine? What I, can I declare is my turf? What can I tell God to keep his hands off of? We invite you to follow along with the sermon notes that I've prepared for you today. Beginning there is a principle that the Bible teaches in your notes, that multiplication of our resources that God has given for us 
only begins with subtraction. Now that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? How can we multiply our resources when we begin to subtract them? But it's the same teaching that Jesus gives to us in the Bible. Look at Matthew 10, verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we try to save our own lives, we will lose it. If we give it away, if we surrender, then we get to keep it. It's ours. Again, Solomon teaches us the same. Look at Proverbs 16, 24 and 25. Please read that with me together out loud. It is possible to give away and become richer. It is also possible to hold on too tightly and lose everything. Yes, the liberal man shall be rich by watering others. He waters himself. That's a good verse to put on your refrigerator for this week. Look with me at 1 Kings 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kiriath Ravine east of Jordan. You will drink from the brook. I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kiriath Ravine east of the Jordan, stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Zidon. Stay there. So we want to get to six points on the lesson that's familiar about Elijah's story with the widow at Zarephath. Point number one in your notes. We look first at this widow's opportunity. I want you to see her opportunity. This widow had an incredible opportunity given to her. Look at 1 Kings 17, 9. The Lord said to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Now Jesus himself refers to this story in the New Testament. See, Jesus says, I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel, the days of Elijah when the skies were shut up in three, and a half, three years and six months. A great famine came over the land. Many widows, Jesus said, were in Israel. Yet he says, Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Jesus, in giving reference to this story, he points out that there was one widow who was commanded, one lady who was chosen with the privilege, with the opportunity of giving. Note the principle in your notes. When we think of giving, we usually do not think of opportunity. In your notes, I have two O words there, biblically. Giving is an opportunity, not an obligation. When we have the opportunity to give, we are more likely to say, oh, why me? Why do I have to give? We start pointing to other people who have more resources than we do. We see only it as an obligation. So the first point is we need to look at 
this story is that God chose this widow to give because it was her opportunity, her opportunity for ministry. Some people look as if they've been forced to come to services in church, been forced to serve on a board, and they use words like, I have to, or you should. Others are excited to come. They see it as an opportunity, not an obligation. In your notes, secondly, number two, not only in her opportunity, but we look at the widow's openness, her openness. Look at 1 Kings 17, 10 to 12. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. There, God does it again. When I look at the way that God works, especially with us and our stewardship of his resources, he all gives to us. I'm amazed at two things, two amazing observations on the back of your notes. Number one, God always uses unlikely people. And God sends Elijah to a lady to ask for her bread, and she has none. Now, if I were Elijah, I would have said, now there you go again, God, you've made another mistake. She has no bread. Certainly there were other widows who had financial means and resources, but here it is. God is sending Elijah to be ministered to by somebody who has little to give. So often the Bible uses that, though. The foolish things, the little things, the unexpected things to confound the wise and the strong. In fact, if we were that widow, we would have said, well, I don't have any bread. That leaves me off the hook. Guess you went to the wrong person. Check with one of those other people. Or the widow might have said, I'm as poor as a mouse, and poor as you are. Let's go begging together. Maybe we can find somebody to take care of both of us. See, God uses unlikely people. So what you going to do with what you got? The second observation about stewardship, number two, God holds us accountable. God holds you and me accountable for what we do have. In the parable of the talents, Jesus tells how God was angry with this fellow who all had one talent. He was angry because this fellow went and he buried his one talent. Now, if we were telling that same story, we would tell how God gets angry at those who have many, many talents, and we would tend to overlook the person with only one. But God doesn't give special attention to only those with many talents or to the rich. God cares about each and every person. So what you're going to do with what you got? See, it's not the size. It's not, if you had a million dollars, what would you do? Look at the widow's openness. I have only a little flour and a little oil. Point number three in your notes. Look at the widow's 
obligation. We look carefully at 1 Kings 17. This is the key to the story. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. Now you might want to circle that word first in those verses. In the word first comes the essence of all faithful stewardship, all faithful management. There's one word that would summarize all of our messages on stewardship of all of God-given resources to us. And that word is first. The principle in your notes, God must be first in our lives. The first commandment says, they shall have no other gods before me. The great commandment in the Old New Testament was love, you, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Then love your neighbor as yourself. Look at what first means to God. In the Old Testament, in the first five books, 91 times the word first is used. God is first place in your life, no other gods. On the first day, we are to worship him. He declares that it's of our first fruits that we are to bring and give to him. He declares that it is the first offspring that is to be dedicated and set apart for God's glory. It's on the first day of the first month that special worship was done at the tabernacle. And in the New Testament, Jesus himself says, seek me first. There's an article in a magazine called Residue Religion. It defines residue religion as a kind of religion that says to God that if I have anything left over, any energy left over, any talent left over, any money left over, I'll give it to the church. Does that sound familiar? People who make God sort of an afterthought. They fail to understand that God, through his own son, has made them his first thought. God gave his best, and Jesus died on a cross for our sins. Many people have gotten along with life with some leftovers, yeah, with a lot of hand-me-downs. Moms are good at saying patches are beautiful. There's a time and a place for leftovers and hand-me-downs. But it should not be in our offerings to God. Residue religion. And people say, if I'm not too busy, if I'm not going to see out to see the relatives today, if I'm not going out camping, then I'll attend church. We stumble in our worship to God. When people say, I'll attend a midweek service, or I'll attend a Bible class, but only if I'm not bowling, only if I'm not watching my favorite TV program, if I don't have someone to talk to on the phone. When I'm not busy, I'll give some time and some of my talents to the church, to the Lord. Residue, religion. Number one, the widow's opportunity. Number two, the widow's openness. Number three, the widow's obligation. Point number four in your notes. The widow offer. Notice her offer. Look at 1 Kings 17, 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour 
will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. See, it's interesting that God did not offer to give bread. He gave her the resources to make the bread. God doesn't make and bake your bread. God does not do that for you, what you can do for yourself. So the principle in your notes, in making God her first concern, then what happened? God made her his first concern. That's the offer God made to the widow and to each one of us. God loves and cares for you and for me. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom. Then all these things will be yours as well. Point number five in your notes. Look at the widow's obedience. Look at 1 Kings 17, verse 15 now. She went away. She did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Two observations quickly in your notes. First observation, she obeyed when? She obeyed after she received the promise. That is significant. Because we are to obey after we receive God's promises and learn them. Secondly, in your notes, she obeyed also during her poverty. Now that also is significant. She obeyed before God actually blessed her. The principle in your notes is she had the promise, but she did not yet have the production. We are so different, aren't we? We want to obey, but only after we see the production, after we have the blessing, after God fills our pantry full. First, God, give me a million dollars, then I will obey. People do not fail to give or to tithe to God because they do not have the money. People fail to give to God sacrificially because they lack trust. They lack trust in God. It's a spiritual problem. Finally, point number six, the widow's overflow. Look at 1 Kings 17, verse 16. For the jar of flour was not used up, the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. What a thanksgiving they had. And God wants us to bless, be blessed as well. Through our faith in Jesus, through our trusting in God's care and God's protection, through Jesus suffering and dying on the cross for the forgiveness of all of our sins, through his words of promise in the gospel, God's love and God's grace and blessing overflows into our lives. See, multiplication of our resources begins with subtraction. Amen.